Welcome to the Down to Business Podcast with Alex Kirby, where entrepreneurs and small businesses come to stretch themselves and grow their company. From interviews to in-depth discussions, you'll learn how to market effectively, increase profits, and become the leader your company needs you to be. Now, let's get down to business. Hey guys, as Xander Kirby here, Down to Business Podcast, here with my friend, Laura Unum. How are you, Laura? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Yeah, you're wearing my favorite color today. I did that I on purpose. Tell you. Wait a second. You're wearing a blue necklace too? Yeah. Girl. For you. I know. Blue is my favorite color. I'm saying that for my daughter. I'm going to make sure she watches this because she always reminds me that it's my favorite color. Like I don't know it. But uh, Sage, shout out to Sage. But man, I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Um, Thanks for asking. For for you and, and others that don't know, maybe they're not aware of our show, Down to Business Podcast, we talk about business, finance, marketing, and everything in between. And we've had some really interesting guests lately that are not what people would probably normally think about on a business podcast, but at the end of the episode, they realize they should definitely be on the podcast. And today, I was in a meeting with you the other day, and I said, I think you said something that triggered me saying you would be perfect on the show today. So one, tell people a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into your amazing story and the things that you do. Okay. Well, I am from Lexington, South Carolina originally. I went to USC for undergrad and for law school. I didn't know you did both. I did. Double game cop. All right. Love that. And then I moved to Charleston for a few years. I clerked for a federal judge Mm -hmm. in Charleston. And from there, I moved to Washington, D.C. And I practiced law as a baby lawyer with the United States Department of Justice. How long did you do that for? I was there for six years, okay. and I did, of all things, immigration law, Interesting. which I had no background in. I just knew I wanted to work for the U.S. Department of right. Justice, and I said, just give me a job. Just I'll do whatever you want wherever. me to do. So it was really fun. I yeah. loved that. Um, but I left that job to go into teaching, and I taught law school mm. for a few years. What university? George Washington University. Oh, very cool. In D.C. Yes. And it was during that time that I was teaching law school that my firstborn child was diagnosed with autism. Right. And I won't veer into all of sure, that just we'll, we'll yet. Kick off in a second. But I, um, I wanted to move back to South Carolina to be nearer my family right. because of that diagnosis. Right. And I heard that there was a new law school being considered mm. in Charleston, South Carolina. So I contacted the founders and said. I know that this law school doesn't exist yet, but I hereby apply to be on the faculty. Oh, man. And they wrote me back and said, we'd love to have you. So you moved back to Charleston? So moved to Charleston and spent a few years um, on the inaugural faculty of the Charleston School of Law. And then I actually wanted to get back to the Lexington, Columbia area, Mm -hmm. so I... Um, went to work for back for the United States Department of Justice in their training program that happens to be located yeah. in Columbia. Wow. It's called the National Advocacy Center. So that was kind of my legal career. And then I had an opportunity to go to work in autism, right. which has been my career since that time. Which the one thing that I did know about autism before you was Autism Speaks. Is that correct? That's right. The college I went to, Newberry, um, has a pretty a big presence of one of the sororities in Autism Speaks. That was all I knew about it before you and I met about a year ago now. And so, okay, so obviously you've done a lot of traveling, amazing career. Let's, let's for the listeners, let's talk about the, the big thing you did before we get into your personal thing. Um, explain the situation that happened with your son. Well, how about this? Define autism for us. Sure. Because I, I don't know if the common person can understand. I think we all know what the word autism what exactly does that mean? And 
is it from this to this? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a wide range there. Explain what exactly the, how you define it. And then two, explain the situation that made you so passionate about it from your son, but obviously sure. what you changed in the country. So it's so interesting that you would say a lot of us know the word, but we don't really know what it is. And I credit Autism Speaks mm-hmm. with helping people, with helping it become a household word. Yes. Um, when my son was diagnosed almost 20 years ago, I really didn't know what it was at all. I mean, I had barely heard the word, I think because I had seen Rain Man. Yeah. A lot of people around uh, my yes. age had seen Rain Man. But autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, and basically, it affects different people different ways. Mm. It's characterized by um, communication struggles mm. and or social struggles, okay. but different people different ways. Sure. So one person with autism might be completely nonverbal and just unable to express even basic wants and needs, Mm. which makes for a very difficult life. Very difficult. Another person with autism might be super intelligent and a really sophisticated vocabulary, you know, really articulate, but difficulty interacting with another person Mm. socially. Would yeah. Asperger's be considered a form of autism? Yes, it is. And that's where that I've had the personal experience here with two people who had Asperger's. Okay. And one was shy and one was extremely friendly. So that's interesting, it was on both sides. So Asperger's, um, if you look at the DSM, which is the diagnostic manual, right. um, Asperger's used to be considered literally part of the spectrum. And then the most recent edition of the DSM, they don't call it Asperger's anymore. They call it Autism spectrum disorder level one. Okay. So it's it's the same thing. Okay. I mean, it's essentially the same thing. That makes sense. So, yeah. So then, so talk about when your son was born and you realized he had autism mm-hmm. and you went to the doctor yep. like any normal person would to say, okay, what's our journey look like here? And the thing you found out leading to the fruition yeah. of what you were able to, God used you to finish out. So basically... I guess it was at his 18-month-old well-child checkup Mm -hmm. that the doctor flagged for us. His development doesn't really seem normal. And honestly, I don't know if I really knew that beforehand or not. He was my first. And there wasn't, like, the internet wasn't, like, super... That's right. Yeah, you're not, like, seeing images and videos all the time of normal development. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I knew that... Um, he was a struggle. Like, um, he was a struggle because he didn't sleep well and all of that. But I didn't know. I wasn't on alert for autism. So, at his 18 month old visit, they they referred us to specialists. And so, before he was two, Mm -hmm. he had an official autism diagnosis. And they don't really tell you exactly what to do. I mean, in part, Medical professionals don't know exactly what to do because there's no cure. But there is a a therapy, a treatment that will help a child with autism. Simulation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can become much more functional. Even if they can't talk, maybe they can use um, icons on the phone and and express basic needs. So there's a lot that can be done. Mm -hmm. So the doctors told us to get Ryan, that's his name, into this therapy called Applied Behavior Analysis. that. Okay. ABA. People call it ABA for short. And so they said, look, Ryan is on the pretty severe end of the spectrum. Wow. They knew that at two years old. I mean, they kind of were fudging a little bit and they're like, yeah, maybe he's moderate. We don't know. Mm. But, you know, the the more we went along, it was pretty clear. He wasn't talking at all. Right. Um, And so they said, we want you to put him in a very intensive 
ABA therapy. And don't you know that intensive means expensive? Exactly. I couldn't (laughs) say it better myself. You know, at that moment, I'm just like, whatever the doctors tell me to do, that is what we're going to do. Just, Just tell me what to do. We will do it. And so they recommended that Ryan be in this ABA therapy for 40 hours per week. Wow. Which, by the way, made me cry when they said that because I'm like, 40 hours, that's a full-time job. <laughs> yeah, two I mean, years he's old, two, too. right? He's not Jeez. supposed to be in a job. But yes. I quickly learned that, I mean, his days were not playing and hanging out. They yeah. were not functional at all. Right. He was slamming cabinets and... Just it, it wasn't a typical childhood to begin with. Sure. So we're like, fine, we'll do it. We're going to do eight hours a day of this therapy. Mm. But then we found out what it would cost. Um, and we had therapists come into our home to tell us how it worked. And for 40 hours a week, it was going to be about $70,000 a year. And I remember looking at my husband and saying, well, thank goodness we have health insurance. Right. I had no idea that at that time, health insurance would not pay one penny of it. Which, not to get on this rabbit trail, so answer this like as quick as prize. How is that possible? No, you still haven't figured the answer out 20-something years later? I mean— Like, how, how was that up to that point not included? So, I mean, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that, yeah. obviously, and— Health insurance, I mean, it's commercial in the United States. We have a yeah. private health insurance system. Right. And so they're driven by stakeholders whose goal is to maximize profits. Right. right? But so, autism is not a rare thing. Well, it, um, you know, it was more rare back at the then. Time, but but I mean, now what's the percent? I mean, what's oh, the. Oh, I mean, like one in 45, I think right. it is right now. So, so it's, it's very prevalent right. now. Okay. So, so, anyways, you realize that. And then what? Well, you know, so I. I just was in total shock, honestly. I'm like, so how are we supposed to get this therapy for our child that the doctors told us would essentially be his only shot at a functional life? You're talking about 120,000 in today's numbers easily. Oh, probably. I haven't even stopped to think about the inflation aspect of it. This was about 20 years ago. So, so, um, you know, immediately we just turned to, all right, how do we make this happen? And luckily... My husband and I are both lawyers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't make big money. We didn't work at firms. Yeah. Um, we were government lawyers and law school and whatnot. But still, we could, we realized, yeah. we could live on my husband's salary mm-hmm. and use my entire salary after taxes. Right. I mean, that was just enough to pay for right. his therapy. And I was grateful that I had that kind of salary mm-hmm. that we could pay for his therapy. But so, you realized... I just so we started that, and yeah. you know my my entire salary would do yeah. that, and Ryan started making really good progress. Great, and I started getting more involved in the autism mm-hmm. community. I met lots of other parents, and I thought, well, what are they doing? You know, they're not two lawyers or two Teachers doctors or, or whatever. I mean, yeah, coaches. It, right. Most everybody, right? Right. I mean, your typical family, and this was the period that we were moving back to South Carolina. I remember researching what is the average family of four income in South Carolina, and it was something like $44,000 at the time. And I thought, so what are they supposed to do? I mean, and it was heartbreaking, honestly, heartbreaking to think about um, 
how hard that must be as a parent mm. to know that there's something out there that could help your child, yeah. but you're not wealthy enough, so you can't get it. Yeah. And it was heartbreaking to think about the child who would never get the chance to learn language right. or an alternative form of communication or how to interact with peers. Mm. And I was just like, this is so unfair. So um, You go into lawyer mode and what happens? Yeah, I really remember thinking back to law school and just because something is the law doesn't mean it always has to be the mm. law. And so I sat down at my kitchen table and drafted a bill. I wrote a piece of legislation that just said, if you're a health insurance company and you're doing business in South Carolina, you have to cover therapy, evidence-based therapy as recommended by a doctor right. for children with autism. Okay, so how does that process kick off? I well, mean, luckily, I didn't know much about the process. If I had known much about it, I probably wouldn't <laughs> have ever gotten into it. But um, I reached out to – I had a brother mm -hmm. at the time. He's passed away now. But I had a brother who was a political consultant. Mm. And he said, I'll connect you with one of my uh, buddies who's in office. He act, Even though I was living in Mount Pleasant at the time, my brother said, I'll connect you with a freshman legislator from Ballantyne named Nathan Ballantyne. I know. Okay. Well, so I sat down. I went to the state house, introduced myself to Representative Nathan Ballantyne. He knew nothing about autism. He did not know me. He didn't know about the situation where mm -hmm. there was no insurance coverage, but I just sat down and I explained the problem and I said, I'm telling you about a problem. I'm also proposing a solution. Here's a bill that I've written. I need somebody to introduce this and carry this for me. And he was fantastic. Wow. I mean, he, you know, a lot of times legislators, they'll bend over backwards to help somebody in their district, but I wasn't even his constituent. Right. And he just looked at it and said, yeah, this is the right thing to right. do. This doesn't I'm, make sense at all. Yeah, I'm totally going to do that. And he really um, fought for us and worked hard for us in his freshman term. Mm. And there were other legislators who came along. It was um, a long battle in the South Carolina General Assembly. How long did it take to get passed? It took a couple of years. Okay. Um, the first year that I was trying to pass it, I wrote the bill in 2005. We worked to pass it in 2006 and failed, and that was the end of that legislative session. Mm -hmm. But then a new session started in 07, so we went back and tried got again, it. and it got amended. So, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it passed in June of 2007. Okay. And then just quickly talk about the domino effect that that spread. Yeah. So, I mean, I was um, working just to get this passed in South Carolina, but very quickly, autism families all around mm -hmm. the country heard about it. And people started calling me and they would say, is it true that in South Carolina, health insurance will pay for your child's ABA therapy? I said, yeah, it's true. You know, it's not every type of policy, but as a general rule, that's true. Yeah. And they're like, well, I want to pass that bill in Kansas, or I want to pass that bill in Washington. So did you start coaching people on how to do that? I did. Well, initially, I was just taking people's phone calls yeah. and talking to them about what we did. Right. And Finally, it got to be sort of overwhelming, and I said, look, any of you who are interested, if you'll come to Charleston on this one Saturday in February, I'll get a conference room, mm. and we'll sit down together and just share strategies and How talk about what up? you can do. That initial one, there were 12 people who okay. flew themselves to Charleston, and we sat around a conference table and did it, and we called it the summit. Mm. And um, 
then it really just wouldn't go away. So we did another one that late, later that year in September where there were about 35 people who wow. flew into Mount Pleasant. That gathering still continues to this day. Amazing. It's called the Autism Law Summit, and it's held in a different city every fall. Wow. And now we have about 350 to 400 people That's who amazing. come every year. So cool. So, so how long did it take for every state now? The 50th and final state passed in 2019. So it took 14, Yeah, well, years. from the time I wrote the bill, yeah, it was 14 years. Amazing. Yeah. And so now that covers the whole country. So something that you just wrote on the kitchen table has been, I mean, that's amazing. I know you, you, you hear that all the time. It was just an idea whose time had come. Well, that's the passion you had that God placed in you and, and just, you were the messenger to carry that, which is incredible. Well, and I've shared this with you, but I mean, there was a moment when I remember, I I kept thinking, this is so unfair. Insurance should pay for this. Somebody should do something about this. I should. Yeah, there was definitely a God moment where I realized, wait a minute, I'm somebody, right. and maybe this is why I went to law school, mm. so that I would kind of understand right. it. And, yeah. If not me, then who? Right. I love that. So so to piggyback off of that, now you, you have this organization, CASP, that you run, which kind of explain, I mean, yeah, explain CASP just a little bit before we get to our discussion on the matter of autism. Sure. So, I mean, ju- just so that I don't leave out a very sure. important player— Please. After that law passed in South Carolina, a national nonprofit, Autism Autism Speaks, Speaks, reached out to me and said, we think that's a great law that you got passed in South Carolina. We'd like to offer you a job. Mm. Come work for us full time, and your job will be to travel around the country and try to pass it in other states. Yeah, carry the torch. And I did that for a decade, so I don't want to leave out that important piece. It's a great organization. It's a great organization, and I never could have accomplished that on my own because I'm not independently wealthy. They helped put gas on that fire that you started. absolutely. So their support was critical. There's something to say about that. You know, somebody that um, investors, you know, whatever other business acronym you can get, that you might have the idea, but sometimes people, you need some help carrying that because – you got to scale that thing quickly or it'll die out. Exactly. You know, the momentum. And the I couldn't momentum. have paid for myself to exactly. fly around the country exactly. and all of that sort of thing. So, so I'm, I'm super grateful to Autism Speaks. And I stayed there employed by Autism Speaks as the head of state government affairs until 2019. Mm-hmm. But like I said, that's when the 50th state passed. Right. And then another nonprofit organization, the Council of Autism Service Providers, which is a trade association mm-hmm. of autism providers, came to me and said, you know, we're looking for new leadership at our association, Mm -hmm. and we'd love for you to consider coming on as our CEO. And so I made that shift from Autism Speaks to CASP, Mm -hmm. and it seemed like a really natural progression to me because I had spent a decade or more trying to get funding for these services. And now at CASP, part of my job is to focus on quality Mm. and to make sure that children are getting the best quality services. Because what happens is when suddenly there's health insurance reimbursement available, you have some new entrants into the market. Wolves come out. Yes. They see the dollar (laughs) signs. Whereas you've got others who have been doing this for decades, well before they knew how they were going to pay the bills to serve these kids. Man. That's amazing. And so the reason why, you know, one of the main reasons why, and I wrote these down and talked to you about, is with all that information we have, let's kind of get into where I think it's practical and applicable to our listeners, is I, can you explain the difference between a charity and a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. You're in the nonprofit space. Yes. I think a lot of people, when they think of 
what you're doing, autism speak, all these, whatever the words, they think of the Christmas guy ringing the bell and maybe, oh, let's go volunteer, right? Like, let's go do our 10 hours a year. What is it? What, what would you say the difference is? And what does that look like? Like, what does a nonprofit function as? And, mm-hmm. and how, why is it question. so important um, in our society? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, the, the first kind of way you phrased it, the difference between a charity and a nonprofit, a charity is a type of nonprofit, mm-hmm. but there are other types of nonprofits as well. Right. So, for example, CASP is... Um, it has its nonprofit status or its tax-exempt status under 501c6 okay. of the Internal Revenue Code, which is for associations. Mm-hmm. And so um, like a, a gift that someone makes to a 501c6 mm-hmm. is not even um, deductible. It's not tax-deductible. Right. It's not tax-deductible. So we don't mm-hmm. rely on gifts. Right. That's not how we operate. That's not where our revenue comes from. Instead, our revenue comes from dues. Would it be a write-off, though, for the 501c3? It could be a business expense. Business expense. Yeah, a business expense. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but a 501c3 you know, can collect donations and issue tax-exempt right. Right. Um, deduction letters. For to- sports people think the NFL Players Association, I okay, would say. probably, yeah. So um, where they have like coalitions and they represent each other and exactly. this is sort of what that is. Okay, that makes and, sense. And the whole, uh, the whole distinction of the nonprofit or the for-profit is not necessarily the charitable purpose, but that the goal of the business is not to generate profit for yeah. a person or a set of stakeholders. Right, but it's you obviously want to generate revenue so you can exactly. use it to implement your plan, but it's not for one personal person's gain. That's right. There you go. That's, I think that's, I mean, that's it right, right there in a nutshell. I love that. And you know, I people wonder kind of what operating a nonprofit is like. It better be a heck of a lot like operating a for-profit. I was going to say, like running a business is just no one takes home the, the right. bank account money. At the That's end of the right. Because you got to stay in business. You have all the same needs and yeah. you, you have to generate revenue. You've got to pay your employees. Right. All makes, the same needs. That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. So another question I have is, what is it like to raise two sons now with autism on the not just the day-to-day because you live this 24-7. I get goosebumps thinking about this, okay? Because I'm not, I've never really experienced this. So this is literally a question that I have no answer to. You, you don't you don't just live this in your daily life 24-7. It consumes your thought life because it's what you do for work as well. How heavy of a burden is that? If you're willing to answer that. Hmm. How heavy of a burden, not in a in a bad way, but it's it's a lot to carry. That's interesting. And what is what can because the reason why I'm asking is I want our listeners to understand that when you see people who are working for nonprofits and they're and they are so passionate about what they're doing, I feel like a lot of people see it as like, oh my gosh, another person asking for a check, especially business owners, right? Mm-hmm. And this will go into the uh, the adopt piece mm-hmm. we talk about in a minute. What help people understand what that's like? So it's interesting that you ask how heavy a burden is it. Um, certainly having autism in my life personally Mm -hmm. has created many struggles and challenges for our family. Um, If I had the option of waving a magic wand and my oldest son, who's severely impaired, didn't have autism, Mm -hmm. I would do that. I would take that magic wand and, and take it out of his life. All of that said, on the whole, I look 
the ability to work in autism as an opportunity mm. more than a burden. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does consume my whole life. Yeah. It's personal and it's professional. That's it's twenty four seven. Yeah. Um, it is, but I feel so fortunate to be able to spend my working hours mm. doing something that. I'd do for free if I could. I love that. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, if I were wealthy and I could do this same work for free, I totally would do that. That's awesome. And so I, I consider that just a huge um, gift mm. to be able to work in this. I love that. Hey everybody, we want to take a second to thank today's show sponsor, Jobber. If you guys haven't used Jobber, it is a leading CRM for your home service-based business. If you're looking to help with scheduling, invoicing, routing, Jobber is the way to go. So you're organized, efficient, and in charge of everything you're doing. If you want a discount, look in our show notes today. You get 20% off your first six months. And again, thank you, Jobber, for being a show sponsor and the company we trust at Trifecta Landscaping now for five years. You know, the other thing I have, again, I told you a lot of our listeners are business owners. And one of the things that I think is interesting is you you often see on social media, this company giving a $4,000 check to said charity. And then the next year they're giving it to a different one or they're giving toys for tots and like all these, they're kind of putting band-aids on a lot of things is the way it comes across to me. And through talking with you, I would love to hear your views on how powerful could it be for no matter how big the size of a company, right? Whether you're a half a million dollar company, a $200,000 company, or a $20 million company, what would it be like if you could just get one or two companies in your city or whatever it is to, you know, I'm going to partner with you to journey, to have our people come experience what you're doing rather than just hey, you can do five hours of community service and let us know where you did it at and we'll give you a hour PTO or something, right? Um, yeah. That you know would what I'm be, saying? Oh, I do. I mean, that would be incredibly powerful. It's the best kind of partnership. Have um, you seen one that's really worked and maybe could allude to it without naming names or anything? Well, I, I will tell you, I, I'm going to talk now Please. about a, the, the local nonprofit that I founded, which is now called the Unum Center yeah. for Neurodevelopment. They just named it after you not too long ago, That's right. right. Well, I, I founded this nonprofit as a, a therapy center Mm -hmm. for children with autism over a decade ago, and it was called the Autism Academy of South Carolina. That's what I named it. Um, But the board of directors uh, surprised me um, not long ago and renamed it the Unum Center for Neurodevelopment. But So we're a local nonprofit service provider organization, literally located in downtown Columbia Mm -hmm. at the corner of Bull and Blanding. And there are children from all over the Midlands who come to that center at Bowling Blanding every day. Mm. Kids who can't really function in the public school system and have nowhere to go. So we're right. serving some of the toughest kids yes. with autism there. And we have every kind of need that you as a business owner has, yeah. right? Um, we need marketing. Toiletries. We need our grass cut. We need toiletries. <laughs> yes. We need janitorial services. Mm-hmm. We need all of those things. Right. So the ability to partner mm-hmm. with local businesses that would maybe find it easier to offer in-kind services than yeah. stroking a check um, is extremely beneficial for a local mm-hmm. nonprofit like that. And, and I, the impact, you know, I think the best type of partnerships, and you can speak more on this than me, is ones that the impacts both ways. And 
I'm challenged. I'm I'm being challenged with that on my my companies because I we have yet to really kind of, um, as you know, we're in a group together and they talk about business as a ministry mm-hmm. and we're doing some things. But I've just been really challenged lately on can you pick one lane and run it and see what God does in it? Um, because there is a lot of things we can um, we can do for each other. You know. Oh, I tell you, like we at the Unum Center. We would welcome any business that would want to donate in-kind services to come in and experience Mm. our environment, our atmosphere, to see the services, to meet our kids, to meet our staff. Mm. I mean, all of them are inspiring. And I can guarantee it would be transformational for employees of any kind of company. You just made me think about, you know, we we see the Make-A-Wish Foundation. That's a large one, right? And it's... Not to hate on the Make a Wish at all, what they do is incredible. But whenever they film that experience, right, and they put it on ESPN, most people, what do they do? Oh my gosh, that's so amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And then they kind of leave it there. And that's what I'm wanting to bring you on the show is what? How do we go, business owners, people listening, people on on social media? How do we take the next step? How do we go? Wow, there's a that's inspiring. There's a huge need. What can I do? So. That's where I'm challenging our listeners and challenging myself today to go, stop just looking at the need and start asking, how can I fill it? Just like you did um, with the bill, right? I mean, you reach out to any nonprofit that speaks to you Mm, um, and literally ask somebody on staff, is there something we could do to help you? Mm. I guarantee there'll be an answer of of things, ways you can help. So so just as we wrap wrap up, Lori, kind of... Share with people maybe a couple things um, practical. If you know someone that has autism, but you've never because this is a little uncomfortable, maybe. But I would I would bet that people who are friends with people who have autism don't really know if unless they've been trained. What are things that I should do to help this person when I'm interacting with them? Do you have a couple things that would be helpful uh, practically for anyone listening? Sure. And, and again, this varies so dramatically yes, based right. on kind of High what they're love. like. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned that I have two sons, my mm-hmm. oldest and my youngest, and they could not be any more different. Your youngest is um, on the lower side, right? The oldest is on the more severe side. Yeah. Uh, and then the youngest is what would have been called He's Asperger's. He's going to college, right? Well, he's a freshman in high school freshman this high school. year. I have so, a middle son freshman in college. who's a freshman that's in college. Right. That's yeah, right. that's right. But my youngest son, who is diagnosed on the spectrum, is super smart. Mm. And, you know, so what he needs um, is very different than what Ryan, my older child, needs. Um, Ryan, my older child, um, needs understanding. I mean, and, and so do the rest of us, like, multiple times we've been in the grocery store with Ryan and he makes noises or shrieks or one time he laid down on the floor. That was earlier this year. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been lying for long enough. I do the same thing. (laughs) I was horrified, but I was also so tired as a mother, I didn't do anything about it, uh, to be perfectly frank. And in that particular situation, bless his heart, he had a seizure. Mm. Um, He has a lot of people with autism also have seizure disorder, maybe like 30 to 40%. I had no idea. There we go. Right. Well, and I didn't either before. You know, so first of all, don't feel bad that you have no idea because there's no reason you would know. Well, that's why we're doing this. Yeah, that's right. We're educating people right here. And before it came into my family, I didn't know either. So, you know, like that day, 
I obviously once he started having the seizure, mm-hmm. everybody cut me some slack. Right. But even before that, when this 21-year-old man laid down on the floor, instead of sneering at me and looking at me like you trash, you mm. know, who would let their child do that? Maybe just cut a little slack and compassion. say, maybe I don't know what's going on That's here exactly right. and show some That's compassion. Good. I was going to wrap this up with I've had we've hired two people um, at Trifecta, my landscaping company, who have had Asperger's. Awesome. And this is when I started kind of the flame was starting for me. This was about three years ago, if I remember, Chris. I'm going to look at Chris. Um, both were on the low, more the social side, uh, in the lower side of the spectrum, I guess. The milder. The, milder, milder, I'm sorry. Side, lower, yeah. Milder side. And they were some of the best employees I ever had. They took being on time very seriously, and they were very proud of what they were doing. And so the last thing I'd like to say to our audience, and you'll probably echo this, is don't ever, when someone comes in for an interview and they might be, don't assume that it's their social awkwardness. Maybe they're on the spectrum, possibly. And don't just write them off that they can't do something. And I, that's oh. something I would love to hear you talk about as we wrap up is they're just as capable as in, it, all people who have autism are just as capable, right? Well, uh, I, I couldn't say it any better than you just did. And you say it with... Um, true credibility because you've taken action and mm-hmm. hired some people on the spectrum, for which I'm grateful. Yeah. Um, it can be extremely difficult for people on the spectrum at any place on the spectrum to get employment, mm. even though they have amazing skills right. or they can have amazing skills. You know, right. it depends on where they are. But what you said about how seriously they took their work and they're always timely, we find that over and over with people on the spectrum. Mm. They don't. Um, they're not going to gossip at the water fountain. Right. They're not wasting time. It's just kind of not within their nature. So they're fantastic employees. Right. They never fib or fudge the truth at mm. all because it's it's just not within it's their not being. That's awesome. So take a chance. Um, last thing we'll talk about is you have a pretty special project going on right now, to, and it's pretty cool. And you just got some great news the other day on it. And I want to share what that is, and we're going to put a link in our subscriptions and our tags and everything that people, I'm sure you have one that we can do to, if you want to give to the, to the, I'm not going to ruin it, but explain what, what you're doing, which is incredible because you're taking more action. Um, and explain, I had no idea when you said what you, what you're about to say about, uh, the situation where people are living in the situation, I, my jaw dropped. So explain kind of to wrap up your our episode, sure. kind of where you're at today now with your with your projects. Well, and your thank passions. you. Thank you for the opportunity mm-hmm. to talk about this. And by the way, there's no reason you should have any idea because right. that's not the world you live in and that's okay. Right. But here, let me educate everybody. Please. So Ryan, being age 21 now, um, has made tremendous progress over the course of his life through his intensive therapy. Mm-hmm. There are many, many things he can do now that he wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. But he is still a severely impaired individual. He will not live independently. We think he can hold a job. We're, yeah. You know, we haven't found the right thing yet, right. but we think he'll be able to hold a job and and make some kind of a living. Mm-hmm. But he will need assistance living for the rest of his life. Sure. My husband and I have really started to think about we've got to make plans now. Right. You know, we can't we can't wait until we pass away right. and then he has nowhere to go. Um, So we really have been investigating kind of the residential options for people with developmental disabilities in South Carolina. And sadly, um, they're lacking. Let me just say they're lacking. Um, Oh, they're more than lacking. Okay, well. They're non-existent. Well, I mean, there are some things out there, but they're not enough. No. And, you know, I would like to die knowing that I have left Ryan 
in a good situation. Right. That not there's a, a place. One. Yeah, yeah, not just something that he can go to, but a place that he's excited to be. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I haven't found that. So I've researched some different communities around the nation. Uh, we don't have any of that sort of thing in South Carolina. So the Unum Center for Neurodevelopment, our nonprofit, is taking the huge step into developing a residential campus Amazing. right here in the Midlands. And you just got a big gift. Did you not just get a, a large, or not gift, but... A we got an allocation from the allocation. legislature, um, and I'm very grateful for that. I think, you know, we went to our friends at the legislature and just explained... We're trying to help the state solve Save a problem here. Save a lot here. of money from the state. Well, you know, there's a waiting list right now um, for people who have autism or other developmental disabilities. You can't really get into housing unless you have some kind of desperate critical need, right. like your parents have died or they have cancer or you have cancer or something like that. It's got to be some kind of critical need. But even once you demonstrate that need, there's like 75 people on a waiting list to get into housing. And, and for people listening, aren't they in the hospitals? You said they're just a camped lot away of times, somewhere. Yeah. I mean, if they've got challenges, they might end up going to the emergency room and then they linger there because there's nowhere for them to go back to, which is a terrible oh, so waste of resources and a, just a sad situation. A super sad situation. Again, you know, that government, you know, wherever you stand on that spectrum of left and right, I think we can all agree that government was intended to provide services that all of us needed together, right? It was supposed to be a coalition that's saying, I don't pay for the roads I drive on. I don't pay for the firemen that save my house. This to me is the exact same situation as where do we, how can we help the people who can't help themselves? Yes. And how can we come together to create an environment that actually benefits society and community because it takes the burden off, whether it be the financial side, the nursing side, and make it a place that's with dignity and pride. So, Well, you and I share that philosophy. And right, I, I think it's not a Republican or a Democrat no. thing. Like government, if it has any legitimate function, this is it. caring for those who are unable and, to care for themselves. And, right. You know, and the, a lot of these people really want to work. Yes. They want to contribute. They're right. limited in what they can do sometimes. Right. But, um, you know, we, we, we have to provide for these. So yeah. I'm just excited. We, we've got this campus. What are you um, calling this uh, project? Oh, uh, a fun... Our thing? adult campus. Okay. Adult <laughs> I don't have campus. like a, a catchy title for it well, right now. Well, <laughs> us at Pure Marketing might can help with that. <laughs> well, it's it's the Unum Center for yeah. Neurodevelopment adult campus right now. And um, is there like a go, is there like a link that we can that put it's out there to, to donate towards it or something like www.unumcenter.org. Okay. We're going to put that up on TikTok and everywhere and See see if that catches fire. But this is going to be a place that's going to be special. And so, um, again, Lori, thank you so much for coming on this episode. And, again, listeners, whoever wherever you're listening, Australia, we have people, New Zealand, crazy. But autism is something that you said one in 42 people, very prevalent. Um, I think hopefully this has been very enlightening for a lot of people. I know it has been for me since I've known you for the last year. And again, guys, Down to Business Podcast, If you, we're going to put all the links in YouTube, um, show notes, you name it. And if you want to donate uh, to the Unum Center, the adult campus, campus which we're going to work on that out there, Lori. <laughs> um, make sure you do so. Thank you so much for being here, Lori. Thank, Thank you, Sander. You. You're welcome. And uh, you guys have a great day.